Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show nationwide from my flagship station, WSB in Atlanta, Georgia, where it's pouring down rain. It's actually the tears of all the Braves fans. After last night, I turned it off. I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't look. Okay. Y'all, I, I got to do something here. I'm going to delve into a very, very boring topic. And I'm going to try to make it interesting, educational, and titillating so you don't fall asleep at the wheel and die. Because we got to talk about tax law. <sighs> I took tax law. When I was in law school, I, took, I actually was very good at tax law. Uh, one of my very highest grades in law school were income tax and estate tax, two separate classes. Uh, I did great in property, con law, uh, stiffs and gifts, decedents, estates, and trusts, uh, what you do when people's money dies, uh, income tax, estate tax, and then all the the uh, Section 9 uh, Uniform Commercial Code stuff. Man, I love the transactional side of law. I was good at that stuff. Uh, but I just I hated I hated torts and criminal. Oh my gosh, worst grade I got in law school was criminal law. I hated it, and then had to be an indigent criminal defense lawyer. You did not want me as your lawyer. Oh, in any event, Congress, the Democrats, I should say, not Congress, the Democrats in Congress want a wealth tax. They want a tax on your wealth. Now, a lot of people have reached out to me and they've said, well. How does this fit under the 16th Amendment? Because the 16th Amendment allows an income tax, but it's a little more complicated than that because the 16th Amendment doesn't actually govern tax law in the United States. The first section, the first article of the Constitution does. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, the very first uh, clause in Article 1, Section 8. Clause 1 is Congress has the power to levy taxes and lay duties on excises, imports, and the like. But then there's Article 1, Section 9 of the Constitution that bars a direct tax, a capitation or direct tax, unless the tax is levied in direct proportion to the number of people who live in each state. Now, you should know that the Supreme Court has ruled that an income tax is unconstitutional, and that's why the 16th Amendment had to come about. But there were times in the country there was an income tax. Now, we got we to gotta go with the way, 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 way the heck back machine. We, we got to go way back to 200 B.C. Yes, 200 years before the birth of Christ. We got to go back to this, this, this place called the Republic of Rome. The Republic of Rome, it was governed by a Senate. The Senate, though, knew that it could be slow to decide things. And when there were crises, the Senate would appoint dictators. And they would give those dictators plenary power to do everything necessary for the defense of Rome. And when the crisis ended, the powers of the dictator were surrendered back to the Senate. But the Senate knew, the Senate knew 
that when there's a crisis, when there's war, when Hannibal is marching on Rome, you've got to have one person who can take over. And you've got to have that one person able to call the shots. So Rome had a history of dictators. And Rome had some very famous dictators. One of the most famous dictators of Rome was, oh, was it, was it um, Sulla? See, they got rid of the dictatorship for a while in Rome. And then in 82 BC, Sulla came to power. Sulla knew that there had to be powers because the Roman Senate was having all sorts of issues and there was corruption and uh, the rule of law was breaking down. And so Sulla was a very popular general and he largely seized power and restructured the Roman constitution. He expanded the size of the Senate. He added a bunch of supporters. He placed limits on powers of other groups. He limited the veto. He forbade ex-tribunes from holding the higher powers. And then in 81 BC, he walked away. His dictatorial powers were given again in, in 49 BC to someone you might have heard of. His name was Julius Caesar. Caesar was ultimately in, in 44 BC named dictator in perpetuity for reforming the Constitution and given the power to just to handpick people. The American founders were fascinated by the Roman Republic. That's why they call us a republic, not a democracy. Now, I, this gets me in trouble with certain nitpicky listeners of a certain breed and age. But the Greeks had the word democracy. The Romans had the word republic. They were essentially the same thing. There were differences in their variations as to how they operated. In, in Greece, it was very much a direct democracy. In Rome, it was a representative democracy. And, and the founders were more fixated with Rome and Western civilization out of Rome. And they went with a representative democracy instead of a direct democracy. And they went with a republic. They called it a republic instead of a democracy. But they were really, for all intents and purposes, they were largely the same thing, a republic and a democracy. But all the people who call it, yell, we're a, we're a republic, not a democracy. Yes, but you're, you're quibbling. Tomato, tomato. They actually are largely, they operated slightly different. The founders went with republic because they were high on, on the Latins and, and Rome. And one of the fixating things they had with the Roman Republic was the dictator. Now, they didn't want a dictator here. In fact, George Washington could have been king, and they, they, he didn't want it. So what they did is they made the, the Article One, the legislative branch, the most powerful. It's not a coincidence that the legislature is Article One because they're supposed to be the most powerful. Article Two is the president. He's supposed to be second most powerful. Article Three, the courts, they were supposed to be the innocuous power. But the president, in times of war, as commander-in-chief, the founders embraced the idea of, of the way the Roman dictator would work. If Congress declares war, the commander-in-chief becomes the most powerful man alive. 
There's this scene in the movie Lincoln where Lincoln is surrounded by his cabinet ministers and essentially says to them that he has summoned the greatest powers of Western civilization embodied within his office, able to be used by him in times of war, and he intended to use them, and he was right. It comes from the idea of the dictator. And in times of war, the Supreme Court said things that otherwise wouldn't apply applied. So in times of war, the Congress could impose an income tax. It's not true to say an income tax never existed in American history until the 16th Amendment. In a number of wars, including the Civil War and the Spanish-American War, Congress imposed an income tax. But the income tax only lasted as long as there was a declaration of war. And the moment the war was over, the power went away, as did the president's powers. The moment a declaration of war went away, the president's powers disappeared. That's the way it was designed. It was based on the dictator of Rome. The Congress, where the country was founded, wanted to be very careful about taxation. After all, our nation was founded because of a tax rebellion over tea. So they did not want direct taxes. Have you ever asked yourself, how come the federal government, in their zeal to tax everything, doesn't tax? Why why isn't there property tax for the federal government? States have property taxes. uh, Local communities have property taxes. Why hasn't the federal government started doing that? Because the Constitution prohibits a property tax. It's a direct tax. Now, what per se is a direct tax? A direct tax is a tax on a fixed object. So you cannot have a tax on a slave prior to the Civil War because it would be a direct tax. It would be a tax on on an object, on a person. You can't have a poll tax because that's a tax on your right to vote, on you as an individual going to vote. And you could not have an income tax because it could not be levied in proportion to the people. In 1895, there's this case, Pollock versus Farmers Loan and Trust Company. The ta- it, was a, it was a tax case. This was a bill filed by Charles Pollock of Massachusetts on behalf of himself and other shareholders against the Farmers Loan and Trust Company, Corporation of New York, and its directors, alleging the capital stock of the corporation consists of a million dollars divided into 40,000 shares on par value of $25. And the company was authorized to invest its assets in public stocks and bonds of the United States. And they were taxed. They were taxed on the money coming in. And the Supreme Court said, you you can't tax that. You can't tax income. A tax on the rents or income of real estate is a direct tax. It's prohibited by the Constitution. A tax on income derived from the interest of bonds issued by state. This is why ta- this is why governmental bonds tend to be tax-free. This case from 1895, you can't tax income from the interest of bonds issued by a municipal corporation. It's a tax on the power of the state and the instrumentalities to borrow money. It's repugnant to the Constitution. Those are the words from the case. And here's the other thing. You can't tax assets. You can't tax assets. This is 
where the Democrats are headed and why even Elizabeth Warren today is walking away from attacks on unrealized capital gains. Everybody forgot about the Pollock case from 1895. You can't tax assets. The federal government can't. States can. There's not a restriction on the states. This is a restriction on Congress. Congress cannot tax your property because it is an asset. Congress cannot tax your house because it is property. Congress cannot tax your portfolio. Now, Congress can tax the income. So if you sell it and you get money from it and you've made a profit, Congress can tax that because that's income under the definition of this 1895 case. So the idea that Congress is going to tax your unrealized gains, they're starting to realize this would be unconstitutional. Not only would it be unconstitutional, though, it would wreak havoc on the economy because it would force the billionaires to sell their stock. It would force the billionaires to do this. The other thing they want to do is they they want a minimum tax on corporations. That's probably not going to work either. Do you know why American corporations don't pay taxes? The left would have you believe it's because they're hiding their money. The, the left would have you believe it's because uh, they're, they're they're putting stuff offshore, they're keeping it offshore, and, and to some degree they do. But you know by and large why? It's because companies like Apple, they've converted everything to clean energy and they've deducted the costs of doing that. It's what Congress wants them to do. Other companies, they, they've made investments in worker education and so they deduct those costs. It's what Congress wants them to do. So if you force a minimum 15% tax on their profits, the companies are going to stop doing those things. The reason companies don't pay taxes in this country is not because they're hiding money. It's because Congress has given them a bunch of deductions and credits to do things that otherwise taxpayers would have to do, and the companies do it, and, and it's a good thing they do. The left forgets all of that. The left, of course, forgets the Constitution. In 1895, the United States Supreme Court said the federal government cannot tax your property and your assets. They cannot tax your income. It forced a constitutional amendment. And in the great debate of the constitutional amendment on the income tax, some argued that they should be able to tax property and assets and that should be included. And in the debate over the 16th Amendment, two-thirds of Congress said no, only income, not assets, not property, not real property. Thus, to this day, Congress cannot impose a property tax on you, which means they cannot tax your assets, which means they cannot tax the unrealized gains of your assets, even as they're trying to come up with a way to apply a real tax to that imaginary money called your unrealized gains. The Democrats want to tax everything. Thank God for the Constitution. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Massive swarms of people are headed to Virginia to serve as poll watchers for the Democrats and the Republicans. I'd like a word with you people. There are some of you who, despite my best efforts, are still convinced that your election was stolen from you. If you think that, be a poll watcher. But better yet, be a poll worker. Be a poll worker. Show up and work the polls. Go to your local board of elections 
and say you would like to volunteer on election day. You would like to be a poll worker. You would like to learn the process and you would like to sit there and help people vote. Be a nonpartisan poll worker. They need people. They do they really, really need people to work. More importantly and significantly, call your local party, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, call them and say you'd like to be a poll watcher. You'd like to be assigned a precinct to be there all day to watch the process. You're allowed to do this well. Get involved in the process and test your hypothesis. Many of you think the 2020 election was stolen. Instead of just believing it was stolen, test. Go test the process. Go test and see if that is so. Go test and see if it was actually stolen by being a watcher, by being a worker. If the Republicans win and the odds are in their favor, they should win then you know that maybe the election wasn't stolen in 2020. But go volunteer. In in all seriousness, every county in America needs volunteers to be a poll worker because the class of people who do it, they're starting to retire. And in starting to retire, they need people to fill the void. And some of the people who are doing it may be progressive activists, so you should do it as well. And just call your local board of elections. See what you can do. Sign up and volunteer. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I want to take a phone call from Brad. Welcome, sir, to the program. How are you? Great, Eric. Thanks for taking it. Uh, The question I have is, it just seems like there's so much fraud that could come about with this unrealized gains because won't they have to have the IRS assess your unrealized losses as well? And that's oh. open it up for so much, so much uh, fraud. Yes, uh, yes, it will. And there was not a contemplation. Well, I, I, I take that back. There was a contemplation of what would happen if they, for example, taxed you on your unrealized gains and the market crashed. And so you paid taxes on something. They would not. This is the the awful part of it. You let's say you went from a hundred thousand to five hundred thousand, so you had a four hundred thousand dollar profit. They taxed you twenty percent on that, so eighty thousand dollars, and then you get wiped out. Uh, they would not then let you take an immediate deduction to offset the loss. They would make you spread it out over five years, which is. Ridiculous. Uh, But yeah, and and you're right. It would cause all sorts of fraud issues as well, Uh, all sorts of tracking. They're abandoning the plan, thankfully. Uh, Manchin, and by the way, I I, I do have to give a bit of a tip of the hat to John Ossoff, uh, the senator from Georgia, the Democratic senator from Georgia, who also became very vocal about the, the $600 where the IRS would be able to look in your account, and he said they would uh, open people up to all sorts of uh, cyber invasions of privacy and potential identity theft over time with with so many of those things flying back and forth through cyberspace. And so they've they've between him and Joe Manchin, they killed that portion of it, uh, and they've they've now it looks like they're killing the wealth tax. Joe Manchin, however, wants to come up with a new sort of wealth tax where you're just taxing a premium. You're essentially increasing. Um, the, the amount of money that billionaires pay, you're jacking up their uh, capital gains rate. But also, um, Joe Manchin wants the 15% tax on corporate profits. Zero tax liability, but have had a very, very good life and you've had a lot of opportunities. There should be a 15% patriotic tax. That's me speaking. That's not, I'm not speaking for anybody else. 
But we've said, and we've all agreed on a 15% corporate tax. Well, people in the stratosphere, rather than trying to penalize them, we ought to be pleased that this country is able to produce the wealth. But with that, there's a patriotic duty that you should be paying something to this great country to give you the protection and the support and the opportunities. That's called a patriot. A patriotic tax would be nothing that we should be scorned about. It doesn't harm anybody. A, a patriotic tax, 15% on corporate profits. Again, as, as I mentioned before this segment, uh, you've got to keep in mind that the reason most corporations don't pay taxes is because they're doing things Congress wants them to do. They are moving to renewable energy. They are paying for worker education and worker benefits and worker health care, things like that. Uh, that's why so many of them don't pay taxes. It's not that they're hiding stuff abroad. It's that they are they're doing the things that otherwise Congress would want taxpayers to do. And so they're they're offsetting costs for us, and so they get deductions and credits for it. This 15% tax may dissuade them then from doing stuff like that. Uh, the other issue that Manchin is talking about is the Green New Deal stuff, which he's all but killed in this package. And clean energy means use what you're using cleaner, making sure that the rest of the world that's not doing anything that we're doing. People keep talking about energy. And I'm, I, the only thing I want to say is look at the facts. We are the only nation that's reduced our dependency on coal. We've gone from 52 percent to 19 percent. We get no credit. We've done all these things. We have the technology to capture the methane. Let us build the pipelines and take the methane off. Don't use it as an oxymoron. Yeah, they're upset about that. Now, it looks like, by the way, that they're going to pass this stuff. It looks more and more like the progressives have caved. Now, they're also getting rid of the uh, the family tax credit. They're getting rid of that. They're getting rid of paid family leave. They're getting rid of all the things the Democrats wanted. And my gosh, they're doing the their best to suck it up and, and say, well, the other side would be even more worse, uh, would be worse. Uh, Milhauer, what's his name? Milhauer, he, the dude is a writer for Vox. He's a deeply deranged individual who just, uh, he's he flies into hysterics regularly and he essentially is tweeting out this guy, political commentator for the left, that he voted for a large pizza with mushrooms, and instead he's getting a media pizza that has cheese, but the other side wants to serve him just arsenic. That that's his that's that's really selling it there. Really selling it there. It looks to be like the Democrats have come up with a deal that Joe Biden has convinced the progressives to cave yet again. And you know there's gonna be hell to pay on the left because progressive activists are melting down on social media already as the terms of the deal have come about. And they're going to vote for the bipartisan infrastructure plan. And here's the the selling point. This is uh, from Axios. President Biden told House Democratic Caucus members on Thursday, my presidency will be determined by the votes. He wants next week on a $1.75 trillion social safety net expansion and $1.2 trillion infrastructure plan. So it is $2.95 trillion now. The Progressive Caucus has met and said they believe they can do it logistically as possible. They're trying to get the votes. Pramila Jayapal of Washington State, who what last night said she wanted to kill the bill, now says she thinks they can vote for it. The White House is saying essentially they've got to give him something that they that he can't get them everything they want, but he can get them some things, 
and some things are better than nothing. Originally, originally the the progressives had said it was it was nothing was better than something. And now they're changing terms. And now they're suggesting that maybe just perhaps they'll get a package that won't increase inflation. Except here's the problem. And all of this is if if I seem like I'm I'm pausing, I'm I'm scanning the headlines as I'm talking, I'm multitasking because there is so much breaking news on this right now, and it appears at the moment that they are going to be able to do this. But things are still tenuous, and some of the progressives are really livid about it. And it's just very interesting to see the back and forth on this as it goes forward. Uh, And there's a framework that they're going to agree to. It's not the actual legislation. And so they're hoping that if they get the agreement today, they can go on and pass bipartisan infrastructure and put trust in each other to pass the rest of it. And the progressives don't trust Kristen Sinema or Joe Manchin. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Have the Democrats paid attention to any of the polling? See, they're, they're looking at what they want to see. And you should know one of the things progressives have done, this is really important that you understand this. Progressives have started a polling company called Data for Progress. They poll and they do a series of credible polls so that then they can do partisan polls that rely on the credibility of their other polls to give their partisan polls credibility, even though they're very partisan and skewed. And they've been, when you hear people say, well, this legislation is very popular, people like what's in it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, a lot of that call comes from the data for progress polling. No one really knows what's in this plan. What people know is that inflation is high. And as the government spends more money and dumps more into the economy, it's going to go higher. People know that. People know that prices are going up. People know that there are shortages. And people know that the Democrats are more and more blaming people for those things. Well, an NYU progressive professor has come out on the tax plan portion of this. And even an NYU liberal professor doesn't like it. Our next guest says this new capital gains tax could not only be ineffective, but he calls it one of the worst tax ideas ever. Joining me now is Oswald DeMotor, and he's NYU Stern School of Business professor. It's great to have you back. You, you say you're constantly amazed by the capacity of legislatures to write bad tax law, but this one takes the cake. Why, uh, philosophically, is it such a departure? If you, think, if you think in perverse terms about writing really bad tax law, here's what you would do. You would focus it first on very few people, and those people have the capacity to fight back. This law does that. You tie it to something that moves a lot. Capital gains is the most volatile of bases to base taxes on. You'd make it really difficult to compute and pay the tax, which is what happens when you have unrealized capital gains. And you might even steal taxes from other tax sources that you already collect. Now, this this bill accomplishes all of those in spades. I mean, it's a, it's almost perverse in terms of, if, as I look at the description, it's not quite fair because the actual bill is not in front of us. If I were writing bad tax law, this is what it would look like. Now, they're walking, obviously, some of this back, but they're thinking of these corporate minimum taxes and, and the like, and that's going to cause problems as well. But here's the, here's the other thing no one's paying attention to. We don't have language. 
we don't actually have language. We haven't seen what it actually says. What the Democrats are agreeing to is a framework that the legislation is going to have X, Y, and Z in it. And it's going to be paid for with A, B, and C, but they don't actually have the language. And what if they get the language and they don't like the language? Now, here's what is probably going to happen. What they're going to do is they're going to go on and pass the bipartisan infrastructure plan, $1.2 trillion, and then they're going to continue to argue. But now we need to steer off and look at the politics of it. A lot of the money is going to be spent over 10 years. So a lot of people, they're not really going to see a benefit. They're not really going to see a monetary increase in their income. I mean, for God's sakes, people, we we put all the money in an account to be able to pay people to uh, their rent and three quarters of it was never spent. The, the the Democrats seem to think that this is in some way going to be popular, is going to, to help people, is going to help them with their election next year. Most people don't know what's in it. Most people couldn't care less. Most people are never going to see a benefit from it. And in the process, what are we going to get? We're going to get, well, higher inflation. We're going to get more debt. We're going to get higher taxes on the people who are floating the economy right now. That's going to bite the Democrats. That's going to hurt the Democrats. And they're just looking at the data for progress polling canards that say, oh, hey, look, we're we're, we're doing great. Everybody loves what's it. Nobody knows what's in it, but everybody loves it. It's not sustainable for them. It's not sustainable for them. But they need a win, and that's why they're doing it. They need a win, and they want a win because Joe Biden thinks he's got to have something. What has Joe Biden done as president so far? Screwed up Afghanistan. He screwed up Afghanistan. That's it. That's Joe Biden's legacy, so he wants a big spending package. Remember, Joe Biden came in and said he wanted to be an LBJ 2.0. He wanted to be an LBJ that, that's what he wanted. And in so being, he was convinced that a big, bold spinning package is what he would need to make it happen. Now, LBJ, you will recall, was able to win election after in the aftermath of Kennedy's assassination, but then became so unpopular, he couldn't win another term. That's where Joe Biden is heading, along with the social unrest and inflation and economic turmoil that Lyndon Johnson left in his wake. This is where we're headed. And the Democrats can't see it because they think they've got to give Joe Biden a win. And that if they give them this win, it may mitigate the election. But in fact, it's going to make it even worse because more and more people, when they find out how it's being paid for and what it is and what it's going to do to inflation, this is going to come back on the Democrats pretty bad. Now, I want you, before I move forward, to consider something. What if, as you got all the progressives out there and all their funding, what if you decided to do business with a company that's helping fund the conservative movement as we head into 2022, that's helping to fund the pro-life cause, the Second Amendment cause, uh, 
What if you did business with a group like Patriot Mobile? Move your cell service over to them. I know it's a small thing, moving your cell service to a new company. Patriot Mobile uses all the towers the other companies use. You can check their coverage by going to PatriotMobile.com. But they give a portion of their profits to the pro-life movement, the Second Amendment movement, the conservative movement. They're Christian. They're conservative. The owners are. They, they, they believe in those values. They support those values. They want you to do business with them because of those values. They give discounts to NRA members, first responders, veterans, large families with multiple numbers. Check them out yourself. Go to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. You can get free activation with my name, PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can call them. they got 100% U.S.-based customer service. So you can call them at 972-PATRIOT. Tell them Eric sent you. You get that free activation. They're a good company that shares your values. They want your business. They'll treat you right. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. Why, hello. The phone number, if you want to reach out and say hello, ask a question, it's 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Well, I might have spoken. This is how quickly it's changing. NBC News is reporting there are not enough votes among House Democrats to pass bipartisan infrastructure today. They're, they're rallying. They're trying. They're working. Oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, boy, we'll see. Um, we got to move on to other things. One of the things I wish to discuss is, and I mentioned this the other day, Bob Nightingale. He's the sports columnist for USA Today. He's refusing to use the name Braves. The baseball columnist for USA Today says he refuses to use the Atlanta professional baseball team's nickname. It's not their nickname, it's their team name. When covering the club, because he says it's offensive to Native Americans. While I can't stop the tomahawk chop or make Atlanta change its name, what I can do is not acknowledge the nickname, says Bob Nightingale. In recent years, I've tried to avoid using Atlanta's nickname in columns. I find it offensive. And after talking and listening to Native American leaders, friends, and associates, it only fortifies my belief. Now, you should know Major League Baseball has no problem with it. Rob Manfred, the commissioner, said that the Braves have done, this is his quote, a phenomenal job with the Native American community. The Native American community in that region is fully supportive of the Braves program, including the Tomahawk job. But Nightingale says he hates the nickname and says it's racist and offensive and described as shock at the hardened stance club leaders have taken. Perhaps the chop will go away once Atlanta changes its nickname. But traditions in the South have a bad habit of sticking around no matter how many folks are offended. It's their prerogative. It's also mine not to use their nickname. It's their team name. It's not their nickname. And does he refuse to recognize the relationship the Atlanta Braves have built with the Native American community in the Southeast? Because they have. And all those people are quite supportive of it. Who does he get to be the arbiter? Who does he get to be to say that it's racist and bad when the Native Americans most affected by it in the listing coverage area, they're fans and support it. So yet another another example of white dudes imposing their will on black people in the name of protecting black people. It's racism in and of itself. And this time on Native Americans, he's going to protect Native Americans from being offended when none of them are. But he's decided they are. 
I actually want to spend a little bit of time on this when we come back because it's not just baseball. It's not just the Braves. White progressives are the new KKK. White progressives are the biggest racists in America, and they do so to make themselves feel like they're not racist and sleep well at night. And it's getting absurd the things they're doing out there to minorities in the name of protecting minorities. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com. 